podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Jan Vertonghen with a thumping volley. And he wakes right at the last. Lamella! Steering by Alderweireld. And he saved it. Hugo Lloris. Vertonghen captain delivers when his team really needed it. Ericsson just in brilliant. That is absolutely stunning from Christian Ericsson. Gabriele to finish Arsenal off. The song. Welcome back to a very special edition of The Last Word on Spurs this week. I'm delighted to be joined alongside me, as always, on these patron shows with John from Lily White Rose. John, how are you keeping? Hello, Ricky. Thanks for having me, mate. Good to be back on, and I'm looking forward to a really exciting show tonight. Yes, very much indeed. Now, we've got a very special guest with us who is well known for all of his South American football content and expert, I must say. We've got the brilliant Tim Vickery, a journalist who covers all of South American football. How are you, Tim? I'm very well and uh, very much looking forward to uh, kind of touching base with home and kicking the ball around for a few minutes. Oh, well, Tim, we hope it's going to be more than a few minutes. We've hopefully got an hour in store of talking all things Tottenham Hotspur in the South American presence with yourself and John. And to be fair, Tim, it's been a bit of a crazy week as a Spurs fan with what's gone on with Giovanni Lachosa's injury, which we're going to hopefully hear more of. What I wanted to ask you, Tim, is that Tottenham Hotspur's presence in South America goes back quite a long way. Just enlighten us, Tim, in terms of what Tottenham Hotspur's presence is like in South America. Well, I mean, the, the, the presence of the Premier League has gone through the roof. Uh, it, it was uh, just over 25 years ago that I first moved over here. And then uh, a lot of people, and it, this is perhaps more true of Brazil than it is of Argentina, but they'd never heard of it. And, uh, and for years and years and years, I had to carry, carry around a, a, a ticket. <laughs> you know, from a game, <laughs> they'll ask me what team I support, and firstly, they can't understand Tottenham anyway. You know, it's 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 not it's not an easy word to say if if you're not a native English speaker. You know, so they wouldn't understand it when I said Tottenham, and even when I said Tottenham, you know, Aussie Aussie Ideal style. Even uh, even that was a problem, so I had to whip out a, a a match ticket. And that was perhaps a little less true in Argentina because of the the Ardiles and 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 Visa connection. But even so, I think that that had waned, you know, because uh, that, that, that was a long, long time in the past. If I could just diverge a little bit, it, it, some, something I think the club really missed a beat on was with Ozzy as coach. And I love him. Um, but I think that, I think he blundered as, as coach. You know, when, when the, the, the Premier League money started coming in and, and he went out and, uh, and, and spent it on all those, all those strikers... I think, look back then and think, had Ardiles used his connections to make Tottenham the stopping off point for Argentine midfielders, which is right in the tradition of the club, I think things would have done, would have, would have gone so much better 
during the uh, during the 90s and those kind of wilderness years until things um, started picking up again you know earlier this century if you think of some of the midfielders that we could have had and just just one who uh, Diego Simeone who I think would have would have been a sensation in English football I think he would have absolutely loved it the fans would have loved him uh, and uh, you know instead of all the money on strikers who weren't really necessary and unbalanced the side I just wonder if uh, if fate would have been different had Aussie used his connections to bring in Argentine midfielders. But back to the, the, the thing about the presence. Well, certainly in the last five or six years, it's gone through the roof. I don't have to wander around with a ticket anymore. You know, uh, and, and people know know the club. They're, 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 they're aware of the club. There is a, there, there is a, a certain brand there. There's a certain identity. There's There's quite a strong... Um, Tottenham branch, uh, Rio branch or Brazil branch of Tottenham supporters. I went over to see a game with them a, a while back, uh, and uh, so that's that that that's quite big. Um, and you, I, I'm starting to see. I saw saw a shirt yesterday actually um, in in the streets. Never saw shirts for for you know uh, other English clubs. Yes, but never saw Tottenham shirts. I'm starting to see that. So uh, the presence is uh, is is much much bigger than it was a few years ago. Two points I wanted to pick you up on. I, I never really thought of the RD layers bringing in players and you know what that could have done for Tottenham during those really stagnant years of, of the 90s. I mean, someone that came to mind for myself would have been, imagine if we'd got someone like Redondo, who for me was a fantastic yeah. player at Real Madrid. And then obviously when he left to Milan, it didn't work out for him because of injuries. But imagine if Spurs had had him instead of the likes of Stephen Clements and Michael Brown. <laughs> the difference that would have made. I really honestly think that that was a moment when things went badly, badly wrong, you know, because it's just the moment when the Premier League is, is, is taking off. And when you think about it, you know, and over, over the most of the last 50 years or so, you know, Tottenham and Arsenal have been nip and tuck. And then Arsenal had Arsene Wenger in and he was bringing their French and their Dutch in. And they were so far ahead of Tottenham then. And we were playing catch up for a fair while, you know, it's only in the last two or three years that, uh, that, 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 that we've got our noses in front. Uh, and, and the story could have been very, very different. I've got to ask you, Tim. Jason McGovern, one of our regulars on the show, has asked me to ask you this question. that Do Argentinians know that Maradona once played for Spurs in a testimonial? Mm. He's made me make it clear. I've got to ask you that question. Yeah, I, I haven't... Uh, n- no Argentine has ever brought that one up <laughs> with me. And he's, he's worn a fair few shirts in his time, you know, for, for, for these kind of testimonial games. He, he came over as a special treat to uh, to Aussie. And I'm still, I can't remember what I was doing that night, but I'm, I'm still gutted that I wasn't there. You know, I didn't really, it didn't really register just how how, how great that was to get Mar- Maradona in a, in, a, in a Tottenham shirt. Mm. I think it's, it's bigger. I think it's bigger for us than, than than it is for them. That's true. It's fascinating you say, Tim. You know the fact that with Aussie, how it could have been so different if he did bring some of his Argentinians connections over. I mean, it sounds like you truly believe it could have been so different for him. Yeah, I do. Yes, um, and it, it's just the time that I left. You know, I left uh, England just after the the, the the 1994 World Cup, so we'd had a bad season the year before. Because you know, I think we had to wait until March or something before um, before Barnby, Anderton, and Sheringham were all on the field together. You know, they'd been brilliant together the year before, uh, and uh, so that that was an area of the team that had something. So you know, who who do they buy then? It was Klinsman, Dumitrescu. There was another. There was someone else as well. 
You know, when when people told me that uh, they'd never heard of the club, I would say, well, you know, Klinsman's, Klinsman's playing there now, and 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 Dumitrescu, who Dumitrescu just had a really good World Cup for Romania, was playing there now. There was someone else he bought. I can't remember, can't remember who it was, but uh, you know, there was it was such an unbalanced side, wasn't it? And um, you know, Argentine midfielders they could have really, really balanced that 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 team out. Uh, and now we had a lot of faith in the generation that was coming through. You know, that, that generation that never quite made it, you know, the generation that we had huge hopes of, you know, Danny Hill and, and Kevin Watson and so on. I know he, he, he had huge hopes, especially of, of, uh, of Danny Hill. But maybe life for them would have been easier had there been some top-class midfielders to emulate in the dressing room. So I really do think of it as, as one of those moments where uh, where history took a took a drastic uh, um, a drastic direction and, and not one that works in our favour. Yeah, that's um, you know it's quite depressing to hear as Spurs fans we've, we've heard that sort of sliding doors moment many times, and it sounds like it was another one. And I, I look at other South American players, you know, in in that period or a little later on that we were linked with. Um, you look at when Rivaldo was very close to joining the club when Glenn Hoddle was there. I mean, that would have completely tipped the club another way and, and would have brought us uh, a, a greater social standing and, and better results, no doubt. Um, do you have any memory on that time when Rivaldo was linked with the club? Yeah, I've always felt he was a funny one, Rivaldo. Um, the best description I can ever find of him is I think he's a player who played badly, very well. Um, because he didn't look up. You know, he'd get the ball and 97 times out of 100, he'd give it away. But the other three times, he would do something so fantastic. And if it was basketball, it'd be a disaster, you know, because it's a high-scoring game and every attack that you don't score is, is a defeat. But in yeah. football, if, if you do three fantastic things a game and it gets you a goal or two goals, that's great. Um, so uh, I, he, I watched all of his Brazil career and uh, a lot of it was, wasn't great. He had a relationship with Ronaldo. The two of them just clicked. I don't remember him having a relationship with any other striker. And one of the worst attacks Brazil ever put out was Rivaldo and Romario. The two of them, just, I, I remember seeing wow. games, and they wouldn't exchange a pass, you know. That's fascinating. So uh, it, it, it would have been tough for uh, for Glenn Hoddle, you know. And Glenn, you, you watch him now as a, as, as a pundit, and uh, his, his understanding of the game is, is, is terrific. But his, his man management has often been questioned. That would have been a challenge for him, I think. Yeah, it's funny you say that because that, when we had guests on the past, Tim, that does seem to be the case that Glenn, for the fabulous player he was, if the man management was just as good, boy, you could have been an incredible manager. But it is one of those things. And talk about managers, I'm going to bring it to the present, Tim, and ask you about Maurizio Pochettino because sixth season in charge at Tottenham. As Spurs fans, we adore him. We love him. He's just taken us to a Champions League final last season. But there does seem to be the case, Tim, and I'm really, really intrigued to ask you this, that he seems the most agitated he's been at the football club in the six-year tenure. What have you made of Maurizio Pochettino, especially this season, and maybe his build-up in post-match and pre-match press conferences? And should we be concerned as Spurs fans over his long-term future at the football club? Yeah, I think we should. Um, and you're you're obviously much much closer to this than than I am, but I just wonder as a club if we're arriving at another one of those sliding doors moments, you know, because there, there, there is a model that has, has uh, that the club has, has used. And it's a model that together with the ability of, of Mauricio Pochettino 
uh, has taken a club up so many levels. Um, but it, by the terms of, of contemporary top-class football, and certainly by the terms of, of the Premier League, it's a kind of low-wage model, isn't it? That's everything you hear about Tottenham. It's, it, it, it's a low-wage model. So that the question then comes, well, how do you move on from there? Can you keep getting the same results from the same group of players? They will get restless. But then how do you bring new players in, knowing that you're going to have to pay them money to attract them, and then that that messes up with the balance, that with, with the, the relationships that you've had in the dressing room, and it seems to me that this this next step forward is 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 an is an awkward one. It's a very very difficult one, and it it comes down to you know what what are the people running the club, what do they really want? You know what really are their their objectives here? Uh, you know football is, is such a strange strange business if it is indeed a business. You know it, it walks that you know because it it it's not. Certainly, officially, it's not profit-seeking; it's title-seeking. Um, I, I suspect that some of Arsenal's problems have been exactly negotiating. You know what? What? What do Arsenal actually want? And I, I fear that we are now getting into into similar territory. Pochettino is finding himself precisely at the fault line of that. A little bit frustrated. Um, because he would want to take one direction. The people who are running the club, you know, uh, who uh, they're looking at the bottom line, perhaps uh, they would want to take a different one. Tim, do you see any clubs in particular that may turn Rizzio's head in the future? I mean, we've heard him publicly state his interest in the Argentina job, and I'd imagine that's something further down the line. But do you think there's any clubs in particular that could lead to Rizzio leaving Tottenham? Oh, definitely, without doubt, without doubt. And one of them is is Paris Saint-Germain. And he would be perfect, I think, for Paris Saint-Germain because what he is, what he is, he clearly seems to be someone who is fantastic at getting people to buy into a collective project. You see, he seems to be an absolute master of that, you know, and, uh, and uh, you know, to be able to do that in a, in a second language, I think it's very, it's very impressive to be able yep. to win these players over in a second language. His English isn't great. It's obviously good enough to achieve everything that he wants to achieve, and it's not great. Um, but it, so it, it, there's knowledge and personality shining through. And for a club like Paris Saint-Germain, where he played, remember, and he is one of those figures who has a... He has, like, Diego Simeone is very, very similar, I think. He has a real emotional attachment to clubs where where he's played. Um, for, from the point of view of Paris Saint-Germain, where you've got these kind of millionaires, you know, you, you've, you've got the money, but you need the collective project, uh, and he would be very, very attractive. Uh, one that he's clearly not going to do is Barcelona, again, because of that emotional connection he has with Espanyol. Um, but that means that uh, Real Madrid is, is another one. You know, Real Madrid is a, is a possibility. So, uh, and he's, he's proved his worth, hasn't he? Um, he's, he's proved that uh, his capacity to, uh, to get players to buy into to that collective thing. So, and if, if I was Paris Saint-Germain or if I, uh, or if I was Real Madrid and was without a coach, I'd be, I'd be banging on the door. On that, Tim, you know, you say that if Real Madrid, PSG would come calling, I mean, those clubs are associated with winning titles, competing for the massive honours, because he hasn't yet achieved that at Tottenham in terms of getting over that final line, winning a Champions League, winning a Premier League. I mean, to be let's be honest, we're not winning yet a domestic cup. Does that 
put clubs off or is it because of what you said there, his man management, his capability of getting a squad to go so further domestically than what they maybe are used to? Is that enough to get him those top tier jobs in your opinion? I think it probably would be because if you look at the resources that, that he's been with, you know, I mean, uh, um, uh, and if, uh, if you're a president who, who likes looking at the bottom line and you're thinking, you know, well, look how much, how, how little he spent, he's had to work within the transfer market and he, and he, and he's still done it. Um, there's obviously, there's obviously something very, very special there. And that desire to win trophies, I think is, is the thing that, that could speed him away. I mean, it's hard to imagine us winning the Champions League, isn't it? Oh, yes. Um, well, we were so we were ninety minutes away, Tim. <laughs> yeah, we were well, ninety minutes gonna, away. Is that going to happen again for the next three or four years? It's difficult to imagine, isn't it? Really, oh, it you know, was, it, it, was, yeah. it, it, it was wonderful, but you know, he, he, I think he's entitled to have a look around and think, well, if I if I really want to win that, mm. you know. Paris Saint-Germain, Real Madrid, they're going to give me more, more of a chance than, 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 than Tottenham are. Um, so it, it wouldn't put me off if I was a club looking to hire him. Uh, and uh, it, may be end, it may end up putting him off Tottenham because uh, I, I could quite understand if he thinks he's, he's taking the thing as far as it can go. And I wonder in, if it wasn't for the new stadium, whether he'd, he'd be gone already. Um, you know, but having the new stadium gives an extra, an extra chan 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 for staying on a little while. Uh, and um, I, I imagine that had we actually beat Liverpool back on the first of June, maybe he'd, he'd have quit on a high there as well. I have to ask you before I bring John in, then Tim, on the basis of what you're saying, and this is all hypothetical at this stage. If he wasn't to win a trophy with Tottenham this season. Do you see that maybe being the end of his reign at Tottenham? Do you think he would consider seriously walking away? Because we're talking about a sixth season in charge with relatively the same group. Yes, we've seen some key players that he's wanted over the summer sign, which myself and John are going to ask you about. Do you see it in your mind that he could walk away at the end of this season then? Yeah, I do. Yes. And uh, um, all right, it's a player we're hopefully going to talk talk about in the next few minutes. But let's let's talk about the the way that the Lo Celso deal was done as something which possibly caused him frustration. Because and this is a player that is uh, clearly identified and wanted. When did that deal happen? Right on the last day. Mm. Why? Because uh, the way that Tottenham negotiated it, that's the way they wanted to do the deal. Betis clearly wanted to sell. They bought him from Paris Saint-Germain. They, they wanted to, to cash in. Um, Tottenham wanted uh, to take him on a on a on a year's loan, so they wanted the player without committing themselves thoroughly to the player, uh, meaning that Betis were obviously going to wait as long as they could just to see if anyone was coming going to come in and buy him. So we, we know with the result that the player was uh, you know it was it, it was uh, the eleventh hour that, that that he was signed. We get back to the question: What are the club's objectives? And uh, um, I think Pochettino is. Uh, it, it's understandable that, that he would be he would be frustrated by that, because the way that they did the deal with with Lo Celso perhaps illustrates that uh, those who run the club don't have the same objectives that he has. That's interesting, Tim. I mean, would you say generally though, Maurizio was happy with Tottenham's summer business as a whole, with the four signings including Lo Celso? Well, I th- you're you're much closer to that one than than, than I am, so uh, I'm, I'm going to pass the ball back to you on that one. On that one. <laughs> A little, little quick one-two. I like yeah, that. Kind of Paul, Paul Allen-style one-two. As fans, we're certainly happy. I can say that. All right. 
But on that, Tim, you mentioned the Chelsea there. And just to dive into that a bit deeper then, because as we understand it, Spurs have fought out £15 million for the loan fee with an obligation to pay a further £38 million on a permanent deal should they qualify for the Champions League. Now, going back to what you're saying there, that the way that deal was structured, I'm sure Spurs chairman Daniel Levy would have been happy at the fact that he's only paying £15 million with not having to commit himself yet to that full fee and to it's a permanent deal. But by what you're saying, Tim, Maurizio would have wanted that deal done a lot earlier to maybe work with the player much earlier in the summer so he understands his philosophy, he gets the opportunity to work with him, so he's ready for the Premier League season. Whereas now, obviously it's unfortunate he's picked up an injury this week, which is going to rule him out as we understand it to potentially the end of October. Then you're looking at maybe he's not even going to get into the team really towards Christmas when he's you know, fully embedded at the club. He's had a regular run of games. I mean, it sounds not ideal, Tim, the way that transfer was done, as what you're telling us here. Yeah, and and really on the way things are working out, have been very bad for the player. Because uh, on my impression, I might be wrong here, but my impression is that one of the big reasons for getting him, getting him in was as a kind of cover for losing Christian Eriksen. Now, Eriksen hasn't gone. So that means that uh, it's harder for Lo Celso to get a regular game. Uh, and, uh, you know, exactly at the time at time of the year when the games will be coming thick and fast in, in a number of competitions, he's ruled out, you know, I think he's ruled out of training until the end of, the end of October. So, uh, you know, realistically, we ain't going to see him at his best until, and, until December. Uh, and uh, nearly half the season's gone already. So uh, it, it's a very, very unfortunate blow indeed. I'm just thinking about last season, obviously, the Chelsea scored 16 goals last summer for Betis after completing yeah. that permanent move from Paris Saint-Germain. Um, and, and what kind of impact do you think he will make at Spurs once he does get into the side? Have you got really high hopes for the Chelsea? Is he a, you know, is he a, a real star signing for Tottenham? No, I think he's a lovely player. Um, I watched quite a lot of him on the way up for Rosario Central. And uh, I love that. I love his left foot. I love his vision. Um, I think he's uh, uh, carries the ball well. In some ways, I think he can be an upgrade on Ericsson because, wow. yeah, on Ericsson's a lovely player. Mm. I personally, I, I don't, I, I can't imagine now Ericsson at a, at a higher level than 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 Tottenham. I understand that, you know, he, he'd like to get there, but I, if I was a Real Madrid or a Barcelona or something, I, I wouldn't. I'd be reluctant to go there because uh, I don't see him enough in the big games. Um, and I think that, that that's maybe a physical in, uh, issue. I think he's physically e- easier to, to rule out of, of the big games. And I think Lodgeoso is more dynamic than, 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 than Ericsson. Um, Ericsson, would, would you agree with me? It sounds a little bit disrespectful, but there's an element of Ericsson of a rabbit killer. <laughs> I agree with you I mean listen the thing for me Tim that's always frustrated me about Ericsson is that he's a he, listen there's no doubt about it he's a world class player but my frustration has been with Christian that you don't see it consistently across the ball now I know many will say that last season maybe it was because of the speculation which is the reason his head dropped but in the big games, and this is this has been critical maybe of him, maybe from Ryan, because we know he wants a way. He's publicly said he would like a new challenge, whilst he admits it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to stay at Tottenham. The, the lack of consistency is the frustration with Ericsson. But then you maybe would argue, Tim, that if he was ultra consistent, would he be at a club like Tottenham? Yeah, well, perhaps, perhaps. But my, see, my fear about of him is, is uh, I'm not sure you see enough of him in, in the really difficult games. 
Um, bringing him off the bench on that, that opening weekend against Aston Villa, fantastic. Mm. Fantastic. They were there for the taking and he, he really took them. You know, a week later against Man City, don't see as much. Uh, and uh, I would hope that Lord Chelsea would have the capacity to show more in, in the bigger games. He's had a, he's had a, a, a difficult food, football education at Paris Saint-Germain because you know, Paris Saint-Germain is... No, the players almost bought uh, on, on a, the kind of toy shop mentality. You know, I'll have three of them and four of them. Uh, and they ended up playing him like defensive midfield. Or, um, and you know, he'd never done that in his life. You know, and at, R- R- at Rosario, he was, he, was, he was often reading the newspaper when, when, the, when the team were defending. <laughs> uh, and, and obviously, he came Love up it. short. And, you know, a big game against, uh, against Real Madrid in the Bernabeu. And his defensive ability was, 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 was shown up. But I think that works for Tottenham because that, that's all that, that you get a player who's been through that as part of his education. And then he went to Betis and he was allowed to express himself. Uh, and he had a terrific season there and the goals and so on show that, that the threat that, it, that he offers. But that learning experience that he's been at Paris Saint-Germain when he, when he was expected to do a little bit of defending, I think um, I think we'll, we'll, we'll be good for him. It means that we, we, we get we end up with a with, with a more rounded player. Who I, I I think has a great deal to offer, but I'm I'm just concerned now about him never getting out of, get, getting out of the blocks, you know, because uh, he's got a long time now to get fit, and even even when he is fit, he's behind Ericsson in the queue. That's really interesting. Thank you so much, Tim, for that that insight. And I mean, any Spurs fan hearing that will be absolutely delighted to hear your words in in terms of how the ceiling you think. Uh, Giovanni Lachelso can reach because I've been wrong many many times before. Can I ask for another 200, 200 offences to be brought to consideration? <laughs> and I thought I thought Paulinho would uh, would be great, and he ended up having a terrific season for Barcelona. Scored a lot of goals for Barcelona. Well, he would there do is, too, there, would there he? Is, there is no central midfielder who scored more goals for Brazil than Paulinho. So we obviously got something. Oh, we didn't see enough of White Hart Lane, did we? But is that not the case, Tim? That we have these players that kind of come into Tottenham, it never works out. They go elsewhere and become a world beater. I mean, is that just is, is that only just happen at Tottenham, or is that just all clubs that happen? <laughs> No, no, that, that's, you know, I mean, you know, in, in the same way that every supporter believes that the world is conspiring against his club. I think, uh, you know, I think that, that, that that's a that's a general one. It's not, that, it ain't just us. I know okay. it seems that way sometimes, but it ain't just us. Soldado, oh, there for you, example. There you go. Do you back him, Tim, then? I'm just on to wrap up on the chair. So do you back him to earn himself a permanent move to Tottenham? Well, yeah, I hope he can. I hope he will have the time and the opportunity to do it. In uh, given that, given a fair wind, yes, and I think he's he's a player given a fair wind who is right in the tradition of the club, right exactly the kind of player that that Tottenham supporters have always loved. Tim, moving on to another Argentinian player who is like Marmite to a lot of Tottenham Hotspur supporters, that is Eric Lamella. More often than not, he's out injured for large spells of the season, but it's his spells on the pitch that can be quite baffling. He's actually come up with some really good goals, uh, and he and he scored against. Uh, Manchester City and got the assist against Aston Villa when he won the ball back. How would you sum up his career so far at Tottenham? He's now going into his seventh season at the club and he's, of course, one of the two players remaining from the infamous Gareth Bale transfer signings that we made, along with Christian Eriksen. Um, what would your thoughts be on Lamella and, and your hopes for him this season? It's amazing that you're saying this is his seventh season. Um, one, on one of the rare occasions I was back, it was, I think, it was the start of of uh, Pochettino's second season, uh, and uh, one of the very first games I was there. It was at home to Stoke, uh, and uh, we opened up a two 0 lead, 
and Stoke ended up coming, getting, getting back to 2-2. And part of that was Lamella coming off the bench. And he just had an absolute mare. You know, he, 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 offered, he offered nothing going forward that day. He was, uh, uh, it, defensively, he was a liability. And you could really feel the crowd turning against him. And I think I even wrote a piece then, you know, saying, uh, well, that could be the end of him. <laughs> yeah great predictions of our time and uh um here he is he's, he's, he's still there I, I think that there's something that lamella suffers from and and that's a hugely inflated reputation early early in his career i remember i remember being in in buenos aires it's going back years now uh and uh, he was on the front page of uh of the daily sports paper there in argentina he was 13 and wow. the story then Insane. was wow. that, uh, um, that, that there was this phenomenon coming up uh, and uh, Messi's style, I think it was Barcelona or something, they wanted to take him over the Atlantic and River Plate, his club, uh, had really pulled out all the stops and, you know, given jobs to his family and stuff like that to make sure that they kept him there because there was an absolute phenomenon on the way. Uh, and... Um, so that's the kind of atmosphere that that he that he grew up in. Uh, I even remember actually when he was when he was at Roma. I remember a Brazilian journalist uh, predicting that he was a possible future world FIFA World Player of the Year, or you know, one of those players who could get on the podium. And I have to think, you know, because I've seen quite a lot of him. He was with River Plate when they got relegated and with Roma and so on. I the conclusion I come to, I come. Uh, on Lamella is that he's 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 talented, but I think at the highest level he's a nearly man. He's not quite good enough to really consistently tip the balance at the highest level, and and that that I think uh, some of that comes from the comes from the view that in the zone of the field in which he's operating, he's just not quite quick enough. You know, lanky figure, long legs. He's he's a little bit clumsy. Um, and he dives into a few challenges, doesn't he? I mean, he's, he, he, he does pick up cars. And it, although he'll, he'll give you the occasional moment, the occasional brilliant moment, he's, he's not one that I rely on. Um, I, 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 don't, I can't see him doing it on a regular basis at the highest level. For me, he's a nearly man, perhaps a little bit frustrated by the fact that reality has, has, has proved more difficult than maybe he was led to expect when he was a 13-year-old being hyped to the hills. Yeah, that's interesting. Because the, the season we bought him from Roma, he'd scored 15 goals in Serie A, which was quite uncommon for a winger. And when you looked at his physique at the time, he seemed so skinny and slight. And, you know, I just thought when we signed him at Tottenham, this guy was going to be, you know, as you said, a potential real real star in the game for years to come. And he has had those excellent moments. And everyone remembers the Rabona and... You know, there's been great performances in, in London derbies away at Stamford Bridge and the Emirates. And I still think Lamella is a great player to have around the squad, but he's not in our strongest 11, is he? Yeah, no, I would agree with you all the way. Yeah. Yeah. Which um, which must be frustrating for him, you know, because he, he grew up thinking he was going to be something else. You know, in, uh, in those years when he was growing up um, through youth ranks at River Plate, he was like the reference. You know, the, the others would say, uh, yeah, I was, in, I was in Lamella's year or I was, I was the year below Lamella or the year above Lamella. You know, he was like a reference. So he was going to be the one. And uh, I, I just don't think he's, certainly I don't, don't, don't think he's quick enough to, uh, to be consistently fantastic in that zone of the field. Just to finish up on him, 
Tim, I mean, you said there that because of the amount of hype when he was young, I just wonder how much of an impact it was that when he was coming to Tottenham, it was all that talk about how he's coming to a place, a superstar that is Gareth Bale, who's leaving for Real Madrid. And, you know, what concerns me, similar to the Chelsea, he suffered an injury very, very early on. Yeah, and it was true. almost like his career was already kind of, I want to say set in stone that he was fighting up against or maybe having to walk up a hill. But you do concern yourself that because he had to start with, already that pressure, that price tag, it was always going to be even more of a massive job to try and maybe win supporters over. And I suppose like John has said there, you know, it's we haven't seen enough of his 90-minute games where he's been at his brilliant self consistently. We've seen flashes of brilliance, but it sounds like from what you're telling us, you don't think he's ever going to reach that maximum level at Tottenham. Well, if he hasn't after seven seasons, it's unlikely <laughs> to happen now, isn't it? No. Oh, dear. It's a real shame. I mean, say, player on his day, that is fantastic. Let's move it on, Tim, and let's discuss with you a player that is also wonderful. Not a Tottenham player. We're hoping you might tell us that one day he could be. And that is Paolo Dybala. Now, summer transfer window, a lot of speculation. Huge amount of speculation. Could you tell us... Tim, if you can, if you know, what exactly went on and how close did Tottenham get to bringing Paolo Diabala to the football club? Um, I, I don't really know. I understand it was a very complex deal involving image rights and so on. Um, the fact that Juventus were willing to, to ship him out tells you something, I think. Um, for me, this is the, 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 that, that would, that's a deal that to be successful... I think that is almost 100, 100% dependent on the coach, on Pochettino. Because Dybala, and he didn't play first division football in, in, in Argentina. He, uh, he, he made his name in the second division uh, and then went straight to Italy with Palermo before finding his way to, to Juventus. But right from the start, right from that, that uh, um, spell in the Argentine second division with Instituto when he made his name, there was a question mark against him. Yeah, lovely player, very talented. But again, does he do it in the big games? And in, in this case, more psychologically, I think, than, than than technically. And his record for Argentina is dismal. It's something like two goals in, in 25 games or something, you know. And he's, he's, he's given some thoroughly anonymous performances. This maybe is the type of player that Pochettino treats so well. Uh, th th there's one who um, I wondered about in the summer, which was uh, Felipe Cochino who is a similar case in a way. You know, Coutinho is, is, is a very shy lad. Um, there is a reason that Liverpool picked him up for next to nothing. And that is that Inter Milan, who'd had a long-term relationship with him, and Inter Milan had him on their books well before he was 18 and they could take him over the Atlantic. But in the end, Inter Milan just gave up on him. Said, all right, well, you know, ship him off for nothing. You can have him. We don't want him anymore. They stopped believing in him. Um, where Before he came to Liverpool, where did Felipe Coutinho um, uh, do well? The answer, at loan, uh, at Espanyol, under Pochettino. <laughs> Pochettino, you know, the, the, those kind of shy characters or, or, or the awkward characters, he just seems to have the ability to, 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 to form a bond with them. Um, so uh, if Tottenham were to sign Dybala, that would be the hope. 
But you know, if Pochettino is on the way out, then then uh, <laughs> then I, I would lose some hope for that that deal. I, w- I would worry about that deal. That 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 deal would then then strike me as as almost too ter- stereotypically Tottenham. You know, buying buying flaky glamour players who are never never really gonna 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 do it when when, when the going's tough. So uh, with with Dybala, that would be my big question. No, Pochettino perhaps can 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 dig deep there and and, and get get something out of him, but uh, he's another player that I don't really trust. Uh, and uh, we've got lots of them already. You know, we talked we talked about some of them already. You know, um, one of the things I worry about when I look at the squad sometimes is uh, who are the real big leaders? Who who, who are the ones that you you're really going to trust to to dig deep when, when the chips are down? And Dybala wouldn't be one of them. We sort of summarised the two big interesting South American links to Tottenham on, on the last days of that transfer window. Do, do you see, coming up to the January window, do you see any Tottenham looking at any other South American players, maybe any young South American players coming through? I, I really don't know. Um, they got their, 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 their fingers burnt a little bit. You, you may not remember this. This is going back a few years. Um, they had on loan, although that they paid uh, they paid a, a fair amount for the loan. They had a Brazilian centre back called Bruno Uvini. I do, I do remember this. I do. Yeah, uh, who was uh, he was captain of Brazil's under twenty side, and he was in Brazil's Olympic squad in two thousand and twelve. Uh, and uh, so Tottenham had him on, on on a season's loan and and paid for it. And uh, I think they ended up sacking people in their in their scouting department because he was he was dreadful. He was absolutely dreadful. Um, I, I remember meeting a, a scout from another club, another another Premier League club then, who'd gone along in the reserves just to have a look at him and see what do you do for our club. And he says, "You're rubbish. He doesn't even doesn't, doesn't even move." <laughs> um, the, the, uh, the the step up these days from club football in South America to club football in Europe is a very very big one. There aren't there aren't uh, a lot of players really struggle. Um, with that that adaptation initially, so um, I, I would understand. I mean, that what what the European clubs now are doing is they're looking to buy at eighteen um, for for two reasons. And one is they think that the South American game is the level is so low that the longer they stay in in South America, the harder it is to to to, to get them up to shape in in top class European football. And uh, and the other reason is. If you buy them young, they've they've got more value and they've got a bigger sell-on value, you know, at the end of three years or something. Um, so that those South American players who are kind of early twenty mid twenties, even at like 23, 24, the clubs uh, don't seem to be that that keen on buying. Can I ask you, Tim? That's an interesting one. Uh, talk about players adapting, and one place that always really surprises me, and a lot of Brazilian players actually tend to go there, is Shakhtar Donetsk in the Ukraine. Yeah. Which is all kind of being difficult to adapt to Europe and maybe the style and lifestyle. I mean, that's you know that's even harder. Yeah, although I think the level of football in the, in the domestic league um, is is lower, so that that gives them a chance to uh, to get the ball rolling. There's enough of them there together to form their little community, mm. um, and they've had they've had coaches who who speak the language um, to, uh, to to communicate with them and and help them help them adapt. Okay, that's interesting. I have to ask you, Tim, back to that bloke you were describing, that player. He can't be worse than what Gilberto was for Tottenham under, if you remember under mm-hmm. Harry Redknapp, he brought him on and he subbed him off yeah. at half-time. He can't be worse than him, surely, was he? 
Yeah, and, and he was he was he was a he was a good left back, Gilberto. It's one of those things. Sometimes this happens with a player at, at a club, you know. And he, mm. he gave good service pretty much every year. Played for Brazil. Yeah. Um, and 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 wasn't a bad left back at all. But it just didn't happen for him at uh, at, at, at Tottenham. Sometimes that happens, and it doesn't necessarily mean that just because the, the player didn't work out for your club doesn't necessarily mean that that uh, that, that he's a bad player. And Juventus fans will probably think that yeah, that, that Ian Rush was rubbish. <laughs> Very true, Tim. Just just before we wrap up on, on random Spurs Brazilian signings, <laughs> can I ask your thoughts on, do you remember Rodrigo Defendi? Yeah, I mean, he's one that I never really saw. I mean, I, I, he obviously had a brilliant, he had a brilliant agent, you know, to get him <laughs> at the club. <laughs> you know, yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah, I never really saw him defending. So uh, I, I no idea what happened to him before or since. But, but that agent's double out of it, Tim, by the sounds of it. Yes. Yeah. Well done to him. Good luck to him. Fascinating. Moving stuff. on to moving on to a player who who our scouts did find in South America and has proven to be a great success would be Juan Foyth. And obviously, uh, Maurizio Pochettino may be in line for a, a boost after this international break. With Foyth looking like making a recovery from the ankle injury he picked up in pre-season, and he could come straight back into the team at right back, having previously deputised there with Carl Walker Peters suffering a hamstring strain. How has he fared there for Argentina in those games? And what's the sort of level of support for Juan Foyfi in Argentina? Well, he didn't play very much. He just had a few games for Estudiantes. He came very, very early. He did all right for Argentina at under-20 level. Um, but so, you know, he, he came when he, he really wasn't a, a glamorous player at all. Um, they have high hopes of him now in Argentina at centre-back, as a, as a classy centre-back. It's a position that Argentina have had have had great problems in, in, in recent years. The, the, the thing of right-back, it, it happened, it was an improvisation that happened during the recent Copa America for, for a couple of reasons. One is that the players that they were playing there were really struggling, and right-back has been another problem position for them. And the other is that they ended up, um, the, end, the coach ended up picking two centre-forwards plus Messi, um, you know, it was Aguero, Lautaro Martinez, who got the hat-trick last night against Mexico, and Messi. Uh, so that that really front-loaded the side. I mean, the, the centre-forwards, they tried, and Messi's not going to do a great deal of marking. The centre-forwards, they tried to take it in terms of, you know, to, to drop back. But really, you had you had three there who um, weren't going to weren't going to defend um, with, with any, any great enthusiasm. So it was an effort to kind of balance out the side. All right, we don't have a great attacking right back. What we'll do there is we'll we'll, we'll put a defensive right back in there just to, to to balance the thing out a little bit. It's a little bit like what happened in the in the 2010 World Cup when uh, during the course of the competition, um, Maradona was the coach and, and and he couldn't control himself. You know, he he, he front loaded. He had to find a place for Carlos Tevez and he front loaded his side. And he thought, well, how can I balance this up? And he ended up playing Otamendi at right back, um, which uh, it, it was where they really got done in the, when they, they, they lost 4-0 in their quarterfinal against the Germans. And the Germans really just, just you know, because I think Foyt is is better able to play that role than Otamendi. You know, Otamendi really is a centre-back. And Foyt, I think, has it in him to to to, to play at, at full-back. But it, it is a defensive full-back. Now, that means that I think at club level, I think it's unlikely that he's going to play much there simply because, you know, the way the Premier League works these days is that most games that Tottenham play, home or away, if you don't win, you, you've, you've dropped points. You know, the, 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 yeah. object, the objective is to win the game. 
um, you know, that, that, that there's only kind of the other big five sides that that doesn't really apply. You know, the, the other ones you're looking to win. And that, that means, and it's the way that Pochettino sets his side, his, his side up, you know, he's looking for projection from his fullbacks. He's looking for them to, to, to hit the byline. He's looking for, for pace and thrust from from them and 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 Foyt doesn't really have that you know he's uh, he, he's he's quite classy but he, he doesn't have express pace he doesn't really give you that much as a, as a, as a winger he can't do that 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 winger role and maybe that this is this is somewhere somewhere that we've struggled a little bit at the start of this season um uh, I, I particularly thought that in the Newcastle game that weren't you weren't getting as much you're up against a lot of sides who are going to come to the stadium and 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 sit back and you've got to break them down and uh, if if you've got Foyt at right back, I think that's that that's harder to do. It is perhaps an option in in the tougher games. And if you're going away to Man City, why not do it? You know, you're up against a side that's going to come at you and and, and with the wingers and so on. Then uh, then that, that then it, it's an option. But it, it it's not an option every week. Um, I think uh, it does also though give you the option of a back three. Because um, I think he's uh, he he could be comfortable in in a back three. So uh, and a back three is not not the easiest uh, formation for the centre backs because you know the the two of them are, are wider. They got they they they're going to be caught out, out out in open space. Um, of those three, two must be able to bring the ball out of defence. Um, but uh, that that's an option that, that he gives you. But I I, re- I would would be very very surprised if week in week out he play he plays for us at right back. Okay, now that's kind of answered my next question then for you. Then, so Tim, you don't think he is going to be featuring for Tottenham on a regular basis, especially in that position? I, w- I would be very, very surprised, and I, I just think it, it wouldn't be an, too many points will be dropped. Okay, you know, because uh, um, yeah, I mean, you really want your fullback. I mean, just just think of the difference between what Kyle Walker could offer from that position. Well, John, in an attacking sense. This and, is the and, thing, and, and what Foyt uh, could. Yeah, this is the thing I was going to ask you, Tim. Just to kind of finish up on one Foyt, just how much a Tottenham, and it's bringing in maybe to the next point, Davinson Sanchez, because Spurs, I think they haven't really been able to fill the void since Kyle Walker left the football club. And we had Danny Rose and you know Kyle Walker. And I'm talking about the Danny Rose of that 2016-17 season, where literally he was one of the best left backs, not just in the Premier League but in the whole of Europe. And I think Spurs are severely missing that pace down the flanks. I think that's what used to intimidate yeah. teams when they come to White Hart Lane. Teams would be terrified also away from home because of the amount of pace Tottenham would have on the break. Do you think we need to try and get back to that? Is that down to the club to try and look in the January window to try and find capable and able maybe right-backs that can do a job that have got that explicit pace that we hope Ryan Sessegnon is going to have for Tottenham down that left-hand side. Do you think Spurs need to look at that situation? I don't know um, Walker Peters well enough, you know, his training sessions and so on, to, to know that he if, if he could be that man. Mm. But it, it's uh, it's certainly an area an area that, that, that concerns me going into this season. Yeah. OK, so then just to bring in the next player... I'm going to ask you about here, Tim. Davinson Sanchez. Now, it's fair to say he hasn't had his best of starts to the 2019-20 season for Tottenham. He was playing a role in Aston Villa's opening goal of the season. He was focusing too much on Wesley instead of keeping his eye on the ball. He was in at full a week later for Newcastle's winner as he moved across and left Jonathan totally unmarked on the edge of the area. What have you made of his opening start to the season, Tim? I mean, he's taken a hefty lot of criticism from Spurs fans. What have you made of it? 
I, I, I like him as a player. I understand entirely why he was bought. Um, on he's a he's a centre back who is physically imposing and quick, um, meaning that you can play him in a in, in a high line. Um, and you know he's gone through as all of our centre backs have. He's gone through the some kind of training there at, at, at Ajax, helping him helping him do those things. But there are too many mistakes from him. There are too many lapses in in, in concentration. You wonder about his defensive intelligence. Uh, I, I still blame him for the for the Juventus thing. You know when he dived in on was it dived in on Higuain, um, and uh, there's there's too many of those kind of lapses. The art of defending is 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 about the elimination of of, of mistakes, and I, I think he 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 makes too many. Um, there's still plenty of time for him to develop, and I love his virtues. Uh, I, I love his his pace, and uh, you know because he, he is a wardrobe with wheels. You know he's a, <laughs> I love he's, that he's, term. He's a, I think that's fantastic. What a term. Um, so uh, I, I like his virtues. I still think he needs more work on the training ground. To, to me, Tim, I mean, Davidson Sanchez, I remember his first season. I saw him, I think it was one of his first games up at Goodison Park and we won 3-0 that day. And I was saying to my, my father and my friends, I was watching the game, and I said, this guy is going to be, you know, moving to Real Madrid in a couple of years for 100, 150 million pounds. I was just so impressed. He read, read the game, dictated everything, pace, power, good composure. And it seems like after that first season, I don't know if it's the, the lack of games he had with the form of Jan Vertonghen and Toby Alderweireld, but he just hasn't seemed to have got back to those levels he showed Tottenham fans in that first season. It, it's a draining thing, isn't it, uh, the Premier League? It's, it's, <laughs> it's, you, you're challenged week after week after week. Um, it is, uh, it, it's a psychological test as well. and Maybe, maybe he's struggling there. Um, but I, I, would, I, I suppose on balance, I would rather have him... Than someone who makes fewer mistakes but is slow. Yeah, and, and to put him in put him in comparison with a, the, the, another Colombian and his partner at centre half, Yerry Mina at Everton. How how would you compare the two of them now, having seen them both in the Premier League? Yeah, I haven't seen a lot of Mina for Everton, although I saw a lot of him in Colombia and and, and Brazil as well. Um, I haven't seen uh, yeah, I don't think I've hardly seen him for for Everton, but he was one of those players I always thought. Was uh, was was going to be destined for the Premier League just because he's and he can he can play a little bit and he's not slow and he's you know he's a beast in the air isn't that he's 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 an absolute beast on the two of them together for Colombia are a very very good combination although they went through to Copa America without conceding a single goal wow. the, the, the two of them um, and uh, they just conceded two against Brazil on Friday kept another clean sheet last night although uh, Mina didn't play Davo did Davo did. Um, I think I think there are there are a good combination. Usually, you would want, uh, and ideally, you would want one wardrobe and uh, a kind of a classier figure uh, off him. You know, and my reference here is always Jack Charlton and Bobby Moore, uh, and uh, I suppose both of them are closer to, to Jack Charlton than, than Bobby Moore. But both of them can play a little bit. It's not just put it put it in row Z. Um, so I think that they're, they're they're a pretty good combination. They're a fearsome combination. There aren't too many central centre strikers who are going to get the best best out of them physically. The way Perfect. Davidson took out uh, Neymar, didn't we, the other night? Yeah. Yeah, took him took him right out, and perhaps he was lucky that VAR wasn't around. And they're still howling in Brazil about whether that, that should have been a penalty. But so I mean, you, you, your centre back, you know, you don't want him to marry your daughter. You know, he doesn't have to be. You know, a, a little bit of uh, intimidation, I think, is 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 part of it. 
Just to finish up then on Sanchez, uh, I'm loving these analogies. When I'm getting from this, Tim, the analogies, the wardrobe, marrying your wife, I mean, I absolutely love them. Fantastic. Just to finish up on Sanchez then, Tim, so you still think he's got a massive future at Tottenham? You think maybe under the right coaching still, Maurizio, a bit more development and working with Jan Vertonghen and Toby Adeverald, he's only going to improve as a player, isn't he? Yeah, I, I think he will. I, I would hope that uh, maybe in, in one year, two years, he's, he's, he's good enough. I don't know what his language, language is like. Defending is collective art, isn't it? It's all it's all about communication. Mm, yeah. Um. So that that, that that's something I, I don't know how good his uh, his his English language is, and may, maybe yeah. that that's something which is uh, which is holding him back a little bit. But you would hope that within a, you know in a couple of years' time he could be the leader of the defensive unit. Yes, sorry to interrupt on that. Just just a brief one. I, I did see an interview with uh, Davidson Sanchez. He did on the Tottenham website with Eric Dyer a couple of days ago. His English actually seems quite good, and he seems to have a good understanding of sort of the humour and, and British styles and uh, camaraderie and such. So I, I think with a few more years, we will really see the best of Davidson Sanchez. And, and boy, do I hope so because he did cost a lot of money. Mm, Amen. Forty million, forty million price tag. That, again, is with that pressure, that can't help either. But yeah, fingers crossed. On like you say, a big future for him. And I just wonder, Tim, on our next player, if you think he's got a big future in a Tottenham shirt. He's not currently in the team. We saw flashes of his brilliance last season, and that is of Paolo Gazzaniga. Now. He enjoyed a breakthrough season, let's be fair to say, at Tottenham last season where he was drawn plaudits for his displays when he came in for Hugo Lloris, who was injured. He's now ousted Michel Vaughan from the backup spot at Tottenham. And he was our keeper, as we know, throughout the League Cup sem- well, the League Cup journey last season, which took it to the semi-final. What does the future hold for him, Tim? Because, you know, Hugo Lloris, he's a World Cup winner. He's the Spurs captain. So he's a tough figure to try and move from the football club to make it number one. Do you back Gazaniga to be good enough to be Spurs' number one in the future? Yeah, you know him much more than I do. And his whole career really has, has been in Europe. But it's bizarre that he comes from the same the same little village as, as Pochettino. And they, <laughs> they end up, um, you know, the men from Murphy, um, they, end, they end up together at, at Tottenham. I, I never saw him in Argentina because I don't think he played here. You, you know, he made, made pretty much his, uh, his career on, on the other side of, uh, of the Atlantic. Um, what's your what's your view on on Maurice? Because uh, Lloris is, is another one who is wonderfully talented, but I always think the bigger the game, the more the chance there is of a slip up. It's funny you say that. I mean, I'll, I'll ask John's in a second, but for me, Hugo Lloris, magnificent shot stopper. I don't know why he hasn't got better at distribution. I don't know why no goalkeeping coaches yeah. try to get him, you know, to work more on his distribution. I mean, again, it's that argument that if he was fantastic at distribution and he's brilliant at shot stopping, would he be a Spurs player? I mean, John, what do you think? No, I, I have this argument most weekends at Spurs with, with people. <laughs> Personally, I, I think Hugo Lloris is the best thing since sliced bread. I think he's fantastic. He's a great shot stopper. I think he's a good leader on the pitch. And I think just having Hugo Lloris gives Tottenham such a big global standing and self-respect. I mean, the guy lifted the World Cup for France last summer. Um, for, for me personally, I think he's a brilliant goalkeeper. He's been with us a, even you know eight, eight, nine seasons now. So yeah. he's been here a very long time. He's been really loyal to us when I'm sure he could have gone moved to other clubs. Um, and yes, I find his distribution sometimes disappointing, but I'm hopeful under this new rule where you can play the ball across your six-yard box to, to defenders such as Jan Patongan, Toby Alderweireld, Davidson Sanchez, that they'll be able to distribute the ball more effectively than Lloris, and we can sort of cover up for his one uh, one disappointing aspect of, of his statistics. But for me, I think he's a brilliant goalkeeper, and I'm just delighted we've got him. Mm. Do you know what's funny, Tim? You know, because Gazaniga's not getting any younger. He's at an age where he does have to seriously maybe think about playing regular football if he wants to, you know, look at 
seriously competing to get that number one jersey for Argentina as well as Tottenham. From what you've seen of him, maybe the small snippets you've seen of Gazaniga, do you think that he may have to move on from Tottenham if he is to get regular first-team football and seriously look to push his profile up across Europe? It's going to be hard to displace Lloris, isn't it? Because on, as 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 John Johnny was saying there, you know, Lloris is a is a, is is a club legend and obviously huge, hugely respected. Um, so um, yes, yeah, and if 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 that's what he wants, um, and there are, there are some who uh, who are more than happy to sit on the bench and and, and collect collect uh, the 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 the, uh, the the pay packet. But if if that's what he wants, then maybe maybe he would be advised to to look elsewhere. And we'd have to look uh, at, at someone younger for the backup role. Last point on Gazaniga. I mean, personally, I, I mean, I understand what Tim was saying, that he wasn't in Argentina much. I, I believe he was playing at Gillingham till he was about 22, 23. Yeah, yeah. Um, he then went to Southampton to be their fourth choice at the time. Um, and, you know, he, ma- he made a couple of appearances and it seemed very random when we bought him. I remember we bought him people saying, what is going on here? And yeah. I spoke to some Southampton fans of mine that were amazed they actually got any money for him. They were set to release him that summer on a free transfer. And I know it was only £2 million or so, but they were just shocked that a club like Tottenham would come in for him. Um, but he's proved to be a solid number two. And, and I imagine that'll be enough for him, to be honest with you. I mean, he, he already got into the Argentina squad last year. Maybe they just wanted to have a look at him and see what this new sort of name was that had popped up on their radar. Um, they picked something like 10 goalkeepers in the last year. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a cue there. Lucky dip. That, that brought me on to a point which is slightly disrespectful to Argentinian football. But I sort of feel like now, with the fact that Lamella, Le Celso... Uh, Foyt, um, Gazaniga have all had caps in recent times that Tottenham could sign sort of a postman from Argentina, <laughs> wheel him out in the Carabao Cup for seven minutes and he'd be called up. Would you reckon, Tim, is that possible? Um, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the short answer would be no, the long answer would be no. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny, Gazaniga, he's 27, John. He's 27 years old. Yeah. You think at that age, he would want to have regular first-team football. You, you, you know, who knows? I mean, who knows? One man that should be getting regular first-team football now. And Tim, this guy, I want to think you're going to tell me, he's been one of the players that has really put Tottenham Hotspur's name firmly out in South America, even more so in the last 12 months as Lucas Mora. Because, I mean, this player, let's be honest about it, Champions League semi-final, Spurs look like they're going out, we look like we're going home, but he somehow turns the game on its head. Still incredible, that game against Ajax. I know the final didn't go our way, but when you watch back that game and you still don't believe Tottenham are actually going to come back and get a result in that game. That hat-trick yeah. and the way he played, played, and to be fair, the way he's played in the games in big, in big clubs, Tim, you know, you look at his record, Mora, you know, three goals against Ajax, two against United, one against City, one against Liverpool, one against Barcelona. I mean, he's a player, Tim, you know, that he always scores against the big teams. Yes. Um, I think he he made exactly the perfect move. I think he's gone to the right club, right coach, right time. Uh, and he suffered a lot, Lucas, from uh, an inflated um, uh, reputation when he wasn't good enough to justify it. When Paris Saint-Germain paid an absolute fortune for him. Uh, and it, it was really it was based on and his fame in Brazil was based on one game. I remember it well. I mean, it was at the South American Under-20 Championships at the start of 2011. Uh, and I was watching him all through the tournament thought, yeah, this is interesting. He's interesting. He's frustrating as hell, but he's interesting. Uh, and then the last game, when it was the game when the title was on the line, it was against Uruguay. And Uruguay had a man sent off, and Luca, he just ran riot, and he scored a hat-trick, and Brazil won 6-0. And that game, 
that got him promoted from Brazil's under-20s to Brazil's senior team. Uh, and it, it, it put lots of zeros on the end of his transfer fee. But that game was eight. It wasn't typical of him. Um, and he was a player who, for years, I compared to Theo Walcott. He was a straight-line wow. runner. Wow. He was quick. He was quick. But he was just a straight-line runner. And I saw him a lot at, at, at Sao Paulo. They, they try and play him on the left, and it was awful. They try and play him up front, nothing. Just right flank, straight line, run. So when he went to Paris Saint-Germain for a fortune, I was thinking, you know, I remember Alex Ferguson at the time saying, it's a crazy amount of money to, put, to, to pay for him, and it was. And I remember thinking, I don't think it's going to happen for him. You know, he's, he's not subtle enough, and he, he will be found out. He's been over-promoted. And he did find it very, very difficult, coupled with the fact, and again, the Pochettino factor here, he's a shy lad. I sat down and had a, had a, had a while with him just before he joined Paris Saint-Germain. And the thing that really struck me is just how quiet and shy he was. And it, 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 was, it, it was at a stage in his life when he was, he'd started to be recognised on the streets. Uh, and he was finding it really hard. Uh, and, and so I always thought, you know, the, the, the PSG thing has come, it's come too soon and he's going to suffer from it. And, uh, and, and, and he did. Uh, and in the end, he got eclipsed when, you know, all the money came in and, and they, they bought all, the, all those big stars. Now, what Pochettino has done with him is, well, firstly, again, that thing of establishing a personal bond uh, that, that that he's so good at and and getting 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 him into a in, into a the, the collective project, what he's so good at. But also he's got him running at angles. He's got him running all across the. He, he's not just a, a kind of heads down, no nonsense, mindless boogie straight line runner anymore. There's more to him than that. You know, he's 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 running across the attacking line. You can play him as a as 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 a centre forward now if you want. You know, if you if you if you want to hit them that way with him right up top and, and and Harry Kane just behind him. So Pochettino is drawing more out of the player than anyone had, had, had drawn before, which I think is is evidence really of of the ability of the coach as well as the ability of the player in question. That's really interesting, and, and I'm, I'm really pleased to hear that. That you know, Pochino is still managing to develop players' games even after they've been at big European clubs like Paris Saint Germain. What do you believe long term Lucas Moura's plans are? Do you, uh, I know he's just had a second child, and uh, or maybe a third child, and he seems very settled in England. He signed a new club, announced it as a five year contract, but it was effectively a plus one year uh, contract extension this summer. What do you think Lucas's plans are long term? Do, do you see him being happy at Tottenham and, and wanting to really push on in the Premier League? Well, if I was him, you'd have to carry me out, you know. And I, after after what he's been through before, you know, to to have had the moments that he's had at at, at Tottenham, uh, and the worry there is, you know, if the coach moves on, what what happens then? But for for the moment, I, I would I would imagine that he thinks he's he's made a perfect move. I found it really interesting last summer as well. He got called back up to the Brazil squad for the first time in a number of seasons. And you might know more on this, Tim, but to me, it seemed a little bit like, I know that Edu, formerly of Arsenal, had a very good relationship with some people at Tottenham and Brazil have been having their training at Hotspur Way. And it felt a little bit like just because they were at Hotspur Way and they needed someone, oh, look who's over there, you know, Lucas, let's call him up. Because he he subsequently wasn't called up for further squads. Do you see his Brazil international future now at, at an end? Not necessarily, but on the competition is fierce. And where Brazil are really struggling is is, is centre forwards. But in those wide positions, you know, the, the the kind of winger thing, you know, they, they've got they've got more, they've got so many options um, that 
Well, I mean, he, he forced his way his, his way back in with the things that he was he was doing at Tottenham. He's going to have to do more, you know, because uh, at the moment there's a real real queue, uh, and uh, he he doesn't feature. So um, in this one, Tottenham win. Tottenham win from international football here because uh, if he wants a Brazil career, he's not going to not going to get it on his name. He's going to get it on his club performances. Okay, and uh, one other question. This was something I heard from someone at Tottenham last summer that actually the relationship between Brazil and Tottenham is very good. And actually, uh, Brazil would have had our new stadium been on time. Brazil would have played a friendly at our new ground last season, and, and instead they ended up playing it at Milton Keynes as a sort of change of venue l- late in the day. Have you heard anything on that? Yeah, I mean, I know uh, you know they've used the the, the training ground and, and and their training facilities. They've they've used that them uh, a lot. So there is a there is a good relationship with the club. So um, uh, they're not due in. Um, I don't think they they I don't think, don't know when it's going to happen because I don't think it's going to happen in October or November. Um, and after that, we're into World Cup qualification in South America. So there aren't there aren't uh, too many friendly dates going around for a while. So I, I don't know when it's going to happen, but I'm sure Brazil will, will be. I, I remember seeing them at White Hart Lane. I saw them beat Wales at White Hart yes, Lane. Yes, I did. Yes. When a, um, a very a very young Gareth Bale marked Ronald Gino out of the game. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sure it will happen again, but we might we may have to wait a while. Okay, that's interesting. Thank you, uh, Tim. Just a final question to wrap up this wonderful show we've had tonight, and it would be sort of. What are your aspirations for Tottenham Hotspur for this season ahead? Do you think they can eclipse the levels they reached last year or, or maybe they'll, they'll win a domestic cup or do you just see a sort of another season in the top four? Uh, I think my, my big ambition would be Champions League spot and the FA Cup. Oh, that would be lovely, wouldn't it? Oh, take that. Yeah, that would be it would be great. Yeah, that, 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 that would be great. I mean, I, I can't imagine, I can't imagine us winning a Champions League. Really can't. You know, there was such a, a special set of circumstances and so on. Maybe in the future, but as we were talking about at the start, I think that the club is now at a place, at a, a kind of sliding doors moment where we're going to have to work, you know, they're going to have to work out what what they really want to do. Uh, as I say, I think Arsenal struggle, have struggled with with, uh, with 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 that moment over the last over the last decade. Um, but you know the, the sense of momentum caused by reaching the final of the Champions League last year, I think that would be continued by qualifying for the Champions League again and winning the FA Cup. Or I hope you're right, Tim. Fingers crossed. Oh, I hope you're right, Tim. Listen, Tim, we can't thank you enough for coming on the show. You have to promise us you're going to come back on this season because we've absolutely loved it. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to. I'm hoping, actually, I mean, uh, her indoors and the, the wife, she's coming over to uh, to, to London really? next month. Okay. Yeah, and she's going to she's gonna run a half marathon, which wow. is fucking brilliant. You know, she'd uh, half marathon in, in the London parks. And I think I'm going to tag along. And it just, I think we just managed to get in the home game against Watford. Okay. So uh, um, I'm hoping to go to that one and have a look at the new stadium because I haven't seen it yet. Oh, Tim, oh, Tim well, you know, John will tell you, and I will, that stadium, when you go in it, I mean, the emotion, John, you feel when you go in that stadium for the first time. I mean, even as, you know, I took my wife and she's, she's now having to, be a massive Tottenham fan. She's got no choice about it, Tim. But for her first time going in there, it's just such a remarkable place. It does feel like White Hart Lane, but even bigger, John, doesn't it? Yeah, that's why I always say to people, you, you never, the pictures and the TV just never do it justice, however great they look. You get in there and you just feel at home and you look over and you see the new South Stand that's so 
the noise and the sound is so similar to the old Park Lane, and it's just everything that you loved about Tottenham growing up as a kid. It's all there in that stadium, but just in a, a bigger and 21st century style. And to me, me, I've visited a lot of stadiums around the world, and I'm not just being biased. It is the best stadium in the world currently, and I can't wait to see Tottenham lift some trophies in there. Well, I'm on my way. Uh, love it <laughs> Tim thank you ever so much for such a wonderful show and we're looking forward to having you back on with us very soon brilliant cheers thanks you are a star and John thank you as always this has been a fantastic show hasn't it John one of our, I think one of our best ever ones it's been brilliant yeah I've absolutely loved it it's been brilliant and, and hearing Tim's insight on football I could listen to Tim all night um, so that's been great and uh I'm looking forward to the season ahead and a big game against Palace on the weekend. Come on, you Spurs. Yes, massive game against Crystal Palace. Come on, you Spurs. We'll be back with even more content on Patreon very, very soon. Sports Social Podcast Network.